You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, and welcome to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and joining me today is John Schwartz. How you doing, Hillary? I'm doing great. Thank you. Nate is not here with us today because he's on vacation. Lucky him. And you guys can all assume that we just did that in one take. One take. We nailed that intro. It was great. Trust us. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the new guys we got in the trade deadline and how reporting during the trade deadline is kind of insane, Uh, (laughs) to say the least. John, you wrote an amazing piece last year, I thought, about the trade deadline, and you kind of got to talk to Brian Cashman and Gene Afterman about what it was like to do that in that scenario where they were kind of sellers and revamping. And this year was kind of the opposite, but it's still the same because everything's up in the air and you don't know who's staying and who's going and who's going to come in and what the clubhouse is going to feel like the next day on August 1 as opposed to July 31. So Yeah, it's such a weird time. Um, I was actually on vacation this year for most of the trade deadline. I was around when the uh, first trade happened, although that happened on the road. But it's, it's it every year. It's just so strange because you know. I mean, I imagine it's a lot like the experience it is for them in a sense. You're walking around talking to guys, and you don't know any better than they do. I mean, they you hope know better than you do, but often no. It's just you're talking to a guy who may be part of the team tomorrow, and he may not be. And then all of a sudden, there's just new guys showing up, and it's whole whole new team sometimes. What do you think about the the guys we picked up this year? I think. Todd Frazier came in pretty early on. He wasn't like the last second deal. So he joined the team along with David Robertson, who was here before, who rejoins the clubhouse. We got Tommy Canely in that deal as well. And then we had last minute deals like Sonny Gray, who for the entire time, I think our whole department was texting each other. Like, did we get him? Are we, where is he? Is he coming? Is he here? What's going on with Sonny Gray? And then I think I texted all of you when it finally went through and we, and we gave up Caprillion, James Caprillion, Dustin Fowler and Jorge Mateo and Jorge Mateo, which is, I mean, that's look, you know, you always have to remind yourself maybe a little bit that the Yankees are able to act like the Yankees, you know, for years and years and years, basically until last year, this would have been the most natural deal imaginable for the Yankees to trade three solid prospects for, you know, a pitcher. But after last year, it's like, you know, and everyone fell in love with the farm system kind of, you know, it, maybe it's a little, it hurts a little more. The Caprillion story looked like, you know, this might have been a big year for him. Obviously, the Fowler situation where he didn't even get to bat for the Yankees before he got hurt. And I mean, Jorge Mateo, before any of this started, Jorge Mateo has always been kind of the most enigmatic prospect, you know, in the, in the Yankee system and certainly one of the more talented ones. So this is they gave up a lot and, and it's maybe is a little tough to reconcile. But at the same time, they went out and got arguably the top pitching target of the trading deadline and that's what the Yankees are supposed to do they're supposed to go get that guy right it feels like the old Yankees as opposed to the Yankees of only really last year that's literally really the only time they've done that so and and that's the thing you know you build up that farm system and I've had a lot of conversations with just random whether friends or, or fans you know 
obviously it's easier now to fall in love and to know more about prospects than it was even like 10 years ago. Like 10 years ago, you had to be the type of person who sought out prospect information to know this stuff. Now it's really easy. But people would talk about, you know, how can you even consider trading this guy? How can you even consider trading this guy? And the point is, like, when you're the Yankees, like, you you get a farm system like that largely to trade a lot of them away. You have to expect you're going to trade a lot of them away. You want to be able to supplement your roster with homegrown players. And obviously, when, you know, a Gary Sanchez or an Aaron Judge situation works out, that's great. But you don't need 15 amazing prospects. You need to use some of those prospects to get, you know, short-term help. That's how teams win. And... Look, if the Yankees make the playoffs this year, if the Yankees eventually show the promise that it, it seems like they might, it will be because of a lot of homegrown players. But you can bet it'll also be because they spent the Steinbrenner's money and they did the things they had to do to build the roster around that. And let's not forget, like, we didn't throw everything in. We didn't give away the kitchen sink, too. There's The farm system is still very good. We yeah, still no, got it's still an awesome farm system. Great guys who are going to come up and produce for this team and I think it's just a matter of we got a pitcher which is somebody that we needed we needed a, an arm in the rotation and we got somebody who can help us right now as yeah. opposed to guys who can and that's and really these things are also fluid I mean you know the fact of the matter is at the beginning of the year no one was necessarily talking about Esteban Florial, and then come the trade deadline everyone's happy they didn't trade Esteban Florial. you know Chance Adams has certainly improved this year Dylan Tate is looking great right now as I know you're about to um get deep into the Dylan Tate world for I'm the next venture down the Dylan Tate tunnel this this <laughs> month guys but I mean you know these things these things move around a lot you know if you would have asked me a year ago this t- I think it was a year ago today literally or it was a year ago yesterday as we record this that I interviewed Glaber Torres for the first time if you would have asked me then I would have said he was probably going to be contributing to the 2017 Yankees in spring training I would have said no way oh he's too far off and then as the season opened it seemed like yeah he was going to come up and then he got hurt so now he's not and my point is these things move around a lot Gleyber Torres is still the top prospect in the system he's still you know super interesting and there's no question the Yankees still have an awesome awesome farm system this is what a team like the Yankees has to do with their farm system you hope a couple of them become New York Yankees and you have to be willing to let a couple of them become Oakland A's so that you can get the pitcher you need right and at the end of the day it's about winning a championship and the Yankees feel like they have a clubhouse and a rotation and a roster that can possibly make a run for it this year and they got better and that's I think what fans should hold on to well they did what they needed to do I mean the fact is when Pineda went down the guys they were filling using to fill in that spot those spots were fine pitchers who aren't the pitchers that you want on a playoff uh, roster necessarily Sonny Gray, if the Yankees are in the playoffs, Sonny Gray is in their playoff rotation. So it's an upgrade. That's just, you know, you had to do that. You couldn't every fifth day be running at a guy who, you know, you just didn't think was up to the competition. So they did it. And look, I mean, Jaime Garcia is also a guy with a solid track record. That's a nice pickup. They really, really, really did a number on the bullpen by putting in Canley and Roberts. Oh, my God. Now. Yeah. What a bullpen they have now. And the thing is, I mean, we were kind of thinking at the beginning of the season you know, starters needed to go six, and then seven, eight, nine was co- going to be covered by the bullpen. Now it seems like starters can go five, which, frankly, a lot of times lately they have been. If that, um, yeah. <laughs> but the bullpen, the bullpen is just so good right now. I remember, uh, you know, it's we're recording this on Thursday. Last night, Canley walked a guy. It was the first walk since coming over to the Yankees, and I mean, 
the way he reacted and the, frankly the way Michael Kay on TV reacted <laughs> you know it's like well pitchers walk guys this is gonna happen yeah but um, then he struck out the guy that yeah, it, it, it's like an inning so it was fine it's a nice thing to have on your side that any walk you give up is uh shocking shocking <laughs> yeah and a lot of these guys just in terms of of being here being with the Yankees they're excited to be here Todd Frazier every time I look down at Todd Frazier in the dugout he is top step he is like sitting on the railing he is excited about this team and being here and being in this situation and he can't stop talking about it either every time I've talked to him he's just giddy about putting on the pinstripes and being in a pennant race hopefully and being around this team and this club and this young this mix of young and old and and the desire to win that's in that room. I think Sonny Gray feels that as well. He's super excited to be here too. Jaime Garcia, both of them said that like this is a dream come true to play for the Yankees. So I don't know. It's a good, it's a good group of guys in there. I mean, you said it best. The team got better. You know, there's a lot of work to be done to get to the postseason. Obviously, even if the team gets to the postseason, you don't want to see it be a one game and out thing like it was a couple of years ago. Brian Cashman had a job to do uh, at the end of July, and that was use the roster he had and use the farm system he had and use the resources he had to make his team better. I think it's objectively clear he made the team better. Um, now they just got to go for it. What do you think, John? Who starts game one? I, uh, I think right now it has to be Severino. I think so, too. I mean, you'll see how things line up. I mean, you never know what it's going to be, especially in a wild card game where you can't really – reset your roster necessarily but who else could it be Sevi is uh he's the ace of the staff cc sabathia thinks so he says it a lot <laughs> Sevi's our ace sunny gray could be i mean yeah there's some good candidates in there and that's not a not a terrible problem to have it's not and the fact of the matter is and i don't want to keep repeating this you know the way this team is built, like this team is going to hit. I don't care about the slumps that some guys are in right now. This team is going to hit. The way this team is built, I don't know how much it matters who starts that first game. The fact is just get through five and this bullpen, you know, you don't want that to be your problem every night, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, the Indians are going to start Kluber in, in, a, in a game one. Right. The Red Sox are going to start Sale in a game one. And those guys are kind of expected to go seven, eight, or nine innings. I don't think it matters for the Yankees who it is. You know, you need six innings. Yeah, that's true. Most of the guys on the team should be able to get you six innings. I think Severino, though, is the guy. You had to put, if I had to put money on it, it'd be Sevy at this point. But. I think so. Again, with the wild card game, especially right now, the way it's set up is that the AL has the early wild card game, so they're going to play Tuesday night. And if there are any tiebreakers, which there certainly could be the way things look right now, that could screw things up even more. Um, this is not going to be a situation where Joe Girardi gets to you know, reset his staff in any way to choose a number one starter. The fact is, if this comes down to the wire the way it looks like it's going to, there's not going to be any throwaway games or anything like that anyhow. So everyone's going to stay in their you know, spot, you would guess. I think if he could choose, yeah, I think you're right at Severino. Um, I don't know that that's going to happen. I mean, you know, we're getting to the time of year where we're not too far away from being able to count, you know, in increments of five and figure out how it's going to line up for that Tuesday. Right. But I don't know if we're there yet, necessarily. No matter what, it's exciting. It's going to be fun to watch them down the stretch and to further get to know these new guys, too. So September's always fun. This is uh, this is more fun than the last two Septembers, though. And Yes, for sure. And plus, not only are these new guys in the locker room now, September call-ups are right around the corner. It's going to be full of 
some of those prospects that we did hang on to and could become big contributors in the future. So, And you know what? Uh, we have a story coming in the September issue about this topic. Uh, we'll probably talk about it in the next episode. But the thing is, you know, a lot of these guys, they especially, you know, the relievers and the speedy guys usually are the ones who make the biggest impact. But these September cops can make an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, that You know, guys who a lot of people watching have never heard of, they're going to be guys who uh, impact games. So it's always kind of funny. It's going to be fun to watch. I'm excited yeah, about it. It's always fun. Let's go. Let's go September. Come on. We got this. Let's go. Why am I saying it's... <laughs> man, it's not, it's not even mid-August yet. Never mind September. Go away, yeah, September. Yeah, hold off. We're <laughs> fine. We're doing okay. Yeah, let's, let's enjoy the summer a little bit more. Coming up on this episode, we have an interview with Mike Torres, who pitched for the 1977 World Championship Yankees team. And John and I will discuss a couple of the other stories we've got in the August issue of Yankees Magazine. So stick around. Mike Torres played less than one year with the Yankees, but when he was here, he made a huge impact. The pitcher won 14 games for the Yankees in 1977, and he helped clinch a championship by pitching in relief in Game 5 of the ALCS against the Royals and winning two complete games in the World Series. Yankees Magazine Editor-in-Chief Al Sanasiri interviewed Mike as part of our series with players from the 1977 squad. Here is some of his interview. Tell me about the chemistry of that team. <laughs> you know what? It was good chemistry. It was crazy because you could see things were not running very smooth. But one thing I do give the club credit that year is once we got across those white lines, everybody played together, fought together. Individually, after the game, it was you know, 25 individual guys going separate ways. Everybody yeah. had their own little groups. And then, But on, after the game, like on the bus, going on the team bus, going to the airports, or getting mm-hmm. off the airplane, getting on the bus, going to the hotel, we all sang Margaritaville, the song. And it was our basically our theme song. But we were all singing it. You know, had a lot of fun, made it a lot of fun. Going into that, that game, the first of the two games you pitched in the World Series, or the, the first one. Third game, third game in L.A. Game three, yeah, being in L.A. What, what was it like? How hostile was the atmosphere there to pitch in Dodger Stadium? Dodger Stadium, oh, man, World I, Series game. I had butterflies up the cojones there. Did you? Unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, in a World Series, uh, not realize. I mean, now realizing you're going to be in center stage, mm-hmm. well, something that every year that everybody fights for, right? You know, to be the world champions and uh, the atmosphere and and just the thought had me a little nervous, not scared, but had me my butterflies. You know, as you know, stomach was turning. And, yeah. Had a lot of adrenaline waiting to be exploded, you know? Yeah, yeah. I could remember, yuck. I, I mean, I was like the adrenaline that you build up from something like this. Yeah. And then, and then of course, I didn't want to be so overly too high on adrenaline because I had to kind of, you know, think things out. Sure. What I wanted to do. Because a lot of times you can get out there as a pitcher and try to think that you're, you're muscling you could be muscling too much right and and then you know overthrowing and then when you overthrow the ball straightens out it just straightens out for you and you know you have no movement and you know i me i need i said look i need to get make my sinker sink make my slider slide and my Mm -hmm. curveball work Mm -hmm. after going the whole way in game three were you confident you could go the whole nine at game six yeah going in 
I felt good. I felt good. How did you feel going into that last inning, knowing you guys were this close to winning the whole thing and you were about to pitch a complete game there into the last inning? And you remember the feelings you had walking well, out? Well, it was the same way. I had butterflies. Knowing now we're going to be in home turf. I felt good. Norm felt good. A nice loose of the game. And after I had the success I had in L.A., mm-hmm. I felt good. Mm-hmm. Faced him again. And like I said, was not scared. I mean, I had butterflies. Yeah, I was anxious, you know. Right, I was right. anxious to get the game started and just get going. Yeah, as far as getting ready, preparing for it, I got prepared mentally for it. And uh, I had no negative thoughts, you know. Got everything stayed positive with me. I had a good outing, even though they're going to face me again in a short time. I still felt confident I could get, I could get them out. I did. I mean, I was throwing some, you know, great curveballs and some good strikeouts. And a lot of the hitters that I had faced, they'd never seen me throw the curveball guys that played against in Pittsburgh. Right. And then, uh, you know, coming out there, and Billy came out and asked me how I felt. And I said, Billy, I feel good. I said, look, I'm fine. Okay, just, you know, let's get these guys out, man. So let's finish this game. You know, yeah. we can win this sucker. I said, okay, I'm out here. I'm going to battle. You know that. You right. know, I'm, I'm going to be battling. And he said, okay, big guy, go get him. Right. Okay, thanks, man. Looking back at what you did in that World Series, going two games, nine innings in each of those games, of all the things you accomplished in baseball, where does that play? That That stays up, especially in the World Series. Not not maybe, but two guys, one or two guys have mm-hmm. done it in the last 40, 40 years, you know. And it may not happen again. It may not happen again the way baseball has turned and seen the way they use pitching today. Now, I'm very proud of what I've done. I know no one's done it with mm-hmm. the Yankees. I'm the last Yankee, I don't know how many years it's been, that, uh, that anybody did complete two games. Right. Maybe Whitey Ford and I, I think maybe Ralph Terry. What was it like after the game on the field, the celebration, and, and how would you kind of describe that? Uh, it was like craziness joyfulness, happiness, everybody just looking around the clubhouse was so happy because that hadn't happened in 16 or 17 years. And, you know, the Yankees had not won for many years, you know, a long stretch for them in their history. And uh, it was just a beautiful feeling being what you call world champions. Something we strived for as Mm -hmm. as, as a player, coming into the big leagues hoping mm-hmm. that one day you'd get a shot to play and be in a World Series and uh, I got to be in two of the greatest games I've ever pitched right. you know in a World Series yeah. and com- pitching nine innings complete uh, it's just no one you know, when they see that they can't believe oh, you, you went you went nine innings both games I feel, yeah well that's uncalled for this nobody does that no more and that's what I'm proud of too and uh, knowing that our helped uh, us to win and I know, honestly, in my heart, if I'm not on this, uh, if I didn't do what I did, uh, pitch the way I did, mm-hmm. that we would never would have gotten into the World Series. Right. So I know I was a big part of this team. So, John, do you want to talk a little bit about a couple of the stories in this August issue? I think we have we have an awesome. Brett Gardner's feature from our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri, and we have an Austin Romine story, who Austin Romine has been with this organization for a long time, and this is his second full year with the Yankees, and he's stuck around, and he's done a really good job, I think, as a backup catcher. 
well, I think he's been extremely effective as a backup catcher. And I think he'd be the first to tell you that his role every day on this team is, in a sense, to be exactly what he's doing right now, which is to be ready to take the ball on any given day and otherwise just be ready to do whatever. And the fact is, I think if you look at the way the team is playing right now, you know, I don't think anyone necessarily would have expected this, but considering the slumps that Matt Holliday is going through and recovering from his virus that he had, all of a sudden you start thinking a little bit more about Gary Sanchez as a DH instead of a catcher. So September can be really important with Roman behind the plate for a lot of big games. Um, and I think that's going to be huge. And for the past two years, Romine has gotten to know a lot of the pitchers on staff and the pitchers love throwing to him like he has won their respect he's great behind the plate he earned the trust of guys like Masahiro Tanaka and Jordan Montgomery who's gonna come up and down as as the rest of the season goes by and Assisi Sabathia who likes to throw to him too Romine I think he's been in this organization now for a decade for 10 years he's figured out a way to really stick finally in this clubhouse and contribute to in a way that's huge for this team especially like you said because he's gonna be the guy who gets the call on not just like once a week he could be in the lineup three four times a week behind the plate catching and he has to hit, too, and I think he's done a really good job doing that. Yeah, I mean, his job is not to be Gary Sanchez. No. And especially, look, we're, this is the American League. You can have Gary Sanchez and Austin Romine in the lineup at the same time. But Romine, it's good to see him doing this well. He's a, he's a good dude. One of my favorite dudes. <laughs> he's fun to talk to. He's funny. He's interesting. The guy's love him he is really really smart about baseball that's what i was gonna say i whenever i'm in the clubhouse and you know this i stand right near austin romine's locker and so austin and i have just like daily chats and i am consistently just blown away by how smart he is just like he is intelligent beyond your your wildest expectations he is somebody who he gets things at a, at a level that i I was impressed by. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that's not, to, and I don't mean to sound like terrible. Like he's just very, very intelligent. No, I'm with you. <laughs> and the, like you know, he will at least with me. I don't know. Um, you know, he'll <laughs> he'll make you work for it a little bit sometimes. You know, he'll he'll be sure to point out if you're asking him about somebody, like if you're asking about another pitcher. Oh, I didn't catch him today. Okay, I know you didn't catch him today, but you watched him so talk to me about mm-hmm. this. Um, and then after he gives you the little bit of pushback for one second, then he'll give you this incredible scouting report on everything that makes that guy tick and how. It works and he's enthusiastic and he's interesting and he's laughing and he's really demonstrative and showing you kind of like all the different ways these things are happening because so i mean he's a really helpful resource for almost every story right yes literally every story he's kind of like the first guy i go to and like give me your thoughts on xyz person. yeah explain this to me <laughs> and he will talk to you and he has he's always in the clubhouse too that's what one of the things i love about him he's always there he's always available and he always says if i say austin do you have a minute he's like yeah let's talk and he'll talk to me for five ten minutes about not just the guy i talk to but like he'll go to the next level and say oh you should talk to him too because mm-hmm. Like Aaron Hicks might be able to tell you something too about CC Sabathia or whatever it is that you're asking him about. He knows these guys and he'll tell you and he'll lead you kind of on a path. And you can see why that makes someone a good catcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, For sure. Yeah. He's uh, he's a valuable resource, not just to us, obviously, but to this Yankees team. And he's a guy who's really earned his pinstripes. I'm happy for him, though. You know, it's uh, 
it's a role it's a tough role and it's a, it's a hard role to get guys to talk about a lot because most guys don't like to talk about being you know the backup whatever it's not a story most guys want necessarily have written about them and i think that romine is confident that he could be a starting catcher for a lot of teams in the league and that's good he should be I mean, you know that you want a player to be confident like that but um i think it's a. Uh, it's really interesting to me how a guy does that job and does it well and is able to stick with it. I mean, the fact is, you know, Girardi always kind of says, you know, these things work themselves out. We spend all this time wondering about, you know, who is going to go down when um, Aaron Hicks comes back from the DL. Right. And we spend, we, we, we run through all these ideas in our head and all these things, and then Clint Frazier goes on the DL. Something always happens. And, you know, Romine... Something happened at the beginning of the season. Gary Sanchez got hurt. He did a really solid job filling in there. Showed that as an everyday catcher, you know, he's not going to be, you know, the biggest offensive threat, but he's not going to be a liability. Nope. He's going to be excellent defensively, and he can, you know, he can be that guy for a team every day. So I wonder I wonder what his next move is. It'll be interesting. And, you know, he's definitely a guy you hope for the best for, though, because... For sure. And he's no slouch at the plate. He can hit yeah, a he's, ball he's pretty a far. He, he's, a, he's a good hitter. He can drive he's guys He's not Gary in. Sanchez. He doesn't he's have not, to be Gary yeah, Sanchez. He's not. But that's fine. He doesn't need to be. Exactly. So good for you, Austin. And we want nothing but the best. Meanwhile, um, Brett Gardner is not necessarily looking like Brett Gardner. <laughs> Brett Gardner is suddenly... Brett Gardner is like Gary Sanchez. He's yeah. He's pounding balls over the fence. It's insane. Yeah, and uh, Al did a really solid story on just kind of everything Gardner. He doesn't necessarily wear it that much, but he's just with CC and now I guess if you want to say with Robertson, but he's one of the guys from the old guard, if you will. One of the only ones left. He's yeah. the longest tenured Yankee, I believe, is tr- the true fact. And but again, like you know, he doesn't necessarily. Look, we're coming. We're we're always for the next few years going to be still coming down from this Derek Jeter era in some sense, where you know there was always you always knew where Jeter was at every moment in a sense, and yeah. you always knew his kind of place in the history of the team. I wouldn't say there's anyone on the roster right now who carries that sense of presence in a way but usually if you look around most clubhouses it's the guy who's been there the longest that you know everyone kind of like you know their eyes go to any walks in the room and they kind of take direction from and i get the impression that gardner is very much like that behind the scenes in some ways but he that's not just not who he is uh, outwardly no yeah but you can tell that he is a leader and a guy that people look up to whether he shows that to us or not he is just by the the way in which he carries himself especially on the field the guys on this team look up to brett gardner and they love him i mean they and, love him yes and, and you know he's just this intense fiery kind of crazy guy in some ways and but, he's a clown isn't he but every i was gonna say after every <laughs> win every time he contributes you know there's that clown emoji um from dd and the more time you spend around the the team, the more you kind of do see that he does have those tendencies. But it, it's not it's, again, it's not really on his face necessarily. Yeah. He doesn't really look like it. But everyone, every time something happens in the clubhouse, every time a prank is pulled, eventually you'll find out that uh, somewhere down there, Brett Gardner was involved. At batting practice a couple weeks ago, I remember watching this whole interaction happen. They were throwing, the guys were like throwing seeds at each other and it was Aaron Judge and Brett Gardner and they were like having this seed battle and Aaron Judge went to go hit and he puts his helmet on and seeds just fall all from his helmet. Brett Gardner had filled his helmet (laughs) with sunflower seeds and Judge knew immediately, he was like, where's Gardy? And 
he tried to get Guardy back and he couldn't do it because Guardy's too quick for Judge. He's been doing this too long, but it was that's the kind of guy Guardy is, and that's the kind of team that this is. They have fun with each other, and and Guardy knows that he can play around, but he can. He's the guy. He's the guy everybody's looking to, like you said. It really is um, a very good clubhouse right now, and you can say you know that you don't outwardly see the role that a guy like Gardner plays that necessarily, but you have to imagine that he's a big part of it. The last few years, I think I would joke around a lot that the Yankees were like the most boring, not in a bad way, just that there was just like very little drama around the Yankees, yes. even as you had the whole A-Rod thing happening and all these things. You no, know, that's a fair, it was very professional. There was just, a, it was, it, they were good guys and everything like that, but it was just a very, very, there were very few dust-ups, there were very few, you know, media stories or anything like that. And this I don't know. I mean, look, winning as they did so much in the first half helps. Things like Aaron Judge and what he's doing helps. Obviously, Didi Gregorius just as a presence helps. But this just seems like a very happy and fun group. I think that also has a lot to do with the the youth of the group because these guys are new to this. Maybe, a lot maybe of them. so, maybe not though. Because don't forget, you know, that could also play the op- totally opposite way, where all these young guys might be so you know shell shocked and trying to follow the rule of you know be seen not heard that that could turn into just like this very quiet and staid clubhouse. And I don't think that's the way it is at all either. I don't know that this be seen not heard thing is is as much of an issue as it used to be i think for sure, for the sure. game is definitely loosening up and these guys are letting their personalities fly a little bit more and i think that that's nothing but good for the game of baseball and it it makes things fun the, these guys are having fun on the field and they're showing their personalities and they're enjoying each other's companies and laughing and doing their thing and when you're young guys hitting the ball 500 feet i mean like that's going to be fun regardless like, you know <laughs> yes. like iron judge can try all he wants to you know be seen not heard but you know that's just not going to happen well he's a giant so right yeah. well, he's definitely seen but he, he, he takes can't. a step and he's hurt can't really hide, hide. anywhere no. <laughs> but but the thing is the team clearly overachieved in the first half and a lot of the young players were bound to fall off a little bit and that that's very natural and that's going to happen whatever happens in the next few weeks this season has been i would say a success but it's definitely it is an interesting team it is a fun team to watch it's a fun team i imagine to root for and it's young and most of these guys are going to be around and it should be a good couple of years so getting back to Gertie, like you said these slumps that are happening happen and a guy like Gardner or a guy like CC have been through that and that's when they're going to come into play a lot more I think these guys who the young guys who are going through a slump and maybe haven't before are going to lean on a guy like Brett Gardner or even a guy like Chase Headley and Todd Frazier they're going to ask them like hey what are you seeing what's going to happen am I okay and they're going to be there to reassure the young guys that it's a long season we'll get through it together yeah and that's huge it really is huge well, cool. let's see what happens in the next few weeks. Let's go. It's going to be fun. All right. Thanks All right. a lot. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of 
the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.